little bit. I want to start this way this morning, if you don't mind. My name is Jimmy. Pastor Dave invited me to to come and, and worship with you and experience church here at Church in the Hill. My husband couldn't be with me today because he's home taking care of these two young boys that we adopted who are sick. Pastor Dave said that you guys would welcome me and that you would, uh, you would love me. We've been to some other churches in town and, uh, and, a, and a couple of churches that we've been to, they, they, it's kind of weird. We get this like weird reception. We're like rock stars because we're a gay couple, right? They're like, oh, it's so awesome. But, but it's, it's, we, don't, we don't really feel like we get any depth there. And in some other churches uh, that we've attended a town, it's like we got, it's like we got the plague. Man, they almost like want to run us out. Like this bug. You know what I'm saying? Pastor Dave said you guys are different. And you guys will just love us and walk the path with us. He also said you guys are straight shooters. So I just want to ask this question to start this Start this off. Pastor Dave said I could ask it. If there's anybody here from a biblical perspective who has an issue with my homosexual lifestyle, then, then pre, please raise, raise your hand. Does anybody here have, a, have an issue from a biblical perspective of my homosexual lifestyle? I'll assume if you don't raise your hand that you're okay with my homosexual lifestyle. So, Okay, so we have, okay, so, so Pastor Dave, there seems like there's conflict. Some raise their hand, some don't. Jimmy, let me take it from here. Let's pray. God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Mm. We want to be people of your truth and of your love. We want to be people of your love and your truth. So God, please speak. Please enlighten. Please Loose our spirit of, of, of desire to want to know your truth. Give us your wisdom and your revelation. And give us your love so that we can reflect you well. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and ask. Amen. If you are a guest with us uh, today, we, we are in this repentance series. Jenna kicked it off last week for us. And she talked about confession and repentance. And so, so today, I'll just, today, we're going to look at this repentance from cultural acceptance. And so what I want, us to, I want, what I want to give us today is a simple framework. Get out your pen if you, if you have one. There's an insert in the, in the worship guide. You can follow along. I want to give us a simple framework uh, by which we can use to, uh, to analyze any life issue, any cultural life issue from a biblical perspective, okay? It's very important that we understand how to do that. And why are we, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at this issue of whether, whether a, a homosexual lifestyle is godly or not. So we're gonna use this framework to answer, to answer that question. Why are, we, why are we exploring this question? Well, because our current culture champions it. Our current culture encourages it. I mean, you see it in TV. If you happen to go to school, you see that it's encouraged in school. And because, and because for the, I think the first time in Christian history, in the late 20th century, that is in the late 1900s and into this century, some in the Christian community 
are actually trying to take a position that, that, that a homosexual, a committed homosexual lifestyle is godly. So there's confusion, right? So that's why we're looking at this issue. And my hope is, is that by using this framework, we can understand what God has to say on this matter, what God's word says. And then we can speak in love and truth as Peter encourages us to do. Peter says this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says this, always be prepared. That's, that's those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, okay? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We say that, sometimes we forget that, right? But do this with gentleness and respect. So in this framework, the first question that we always ask is what does the Bible say about this particular life issue? Sometimes the Bible doesn't say anything, but that's the first question. What does the Bible say about this particular issue? So what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Well, we're gonna look at that in the Old Testament. We're gonna look at that in the New Testament. In the first place, that homosexual behavior is even talked about is in the infamous passage that that talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. And that is in Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. And let me set the scene for you. Two angels come to visit Lot. And these angels come in the appearance of of men. And so they come to interact with Lot. Lot happens to be the the nephew of Abraham. And Abraham went this way. Lot went that way. Lot settled here in the city called Sodom. Sodom, and this is what we're told picking up in verse 4 of Genesis 19. But before they, that is Lot and these two angels that came in the appearance of men, before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so that we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. This is a Father's Day message here. Like, what are you thinking, right? Like, I don't even know what this dad is thinking right now. I mean, he's completely out of his mind, right? You would agree with me, he's completely out of his mind. Okay, he's completely out of his mind. But please, leave these men alone. For they are my guests and are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow, this fellow is Lot they're talking about here. This fellow Lot came to town as an outsider. And now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than these other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city, they asked. Get them out of this place. Your sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. So what does this passage say about homosexuality? Well, some, some Christians may point to this passage and say, well, this is, this is, an, this is evidence of God's displeasure with homosexuality. It says absolutely nothing helpful for us in analyzing the question of whether a committed homosexual relationship is okay. 
That's what I would say if I was a gay guy in a committed relationship. I'm appalled at this behavior too. This is all about rape. I'm not for rape. This is nonsense behavior. This is ungodly behavior. Okay? So does the Old Testament say anything else about homosexuality? Well, yes, it does. Leviticus, two passages. Leviticus 18, 22. This is what we're told. You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. Again, abomination means anything disgusting, okay? Then Leviticus 20, verse 13. And we'll get to the backstory of this in a, in a minute here. Leviticus 20, verse 13. We're told this. If there is a man who lies with a male, and the Hebrew phrase is very important here, male lying with male. It's mishkav zakor. Very important that we understand that. You'll see it on the screen when we get to the New Testament. But, but this, 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 this Hebrew, these Hebrew, two Hebrew words mean, mean male lying with male in any context, whether committed or not. It's, it's the most expansive prohibition, okay, just so we're clear. If there's a man who lies with a male, Mishka of Zakor, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They surely shall be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. So both of these Leviticus passages clearly speak against a consensual, any type of homosexual engagement, behavior, or lifestyle. Just does. And, 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 and in chapter 20, verse 13, it even talks about a, about a punishment here. Like, mm, oh, why? Well, could it be that a homosexual lifestyle is in conflict with God's creative intent? Hmm. Hold that thought. We'll come to that later. Now, there's, there's, there's a couple of things that we've got to talk about here. In current, in, in some current Christian communities, they, they attempt to, to make this, these two passages here in Leviticus uh, say something that they don't say. They try to limit them. And, and they say, no, no, no. What Moses was talking about here is Moses was talking about male cult prostitute kind of interaction here wasn't talking about committed homosexual kind of relationship. That's just false. There is a specific Hebrew word that talks about male cult prostitute interaction in its Kadeshim. So if Moses actually wanted to limit it to that, he would have chosen that Hebrew word. Instead, he chose the phrase mishkif zakor. Okay, I just want to make sure you understand that just in case you ever come across that argument. Now, the other issue is this. Do these, um, do these Leviticus passages, these verses, have any applicability for us today as followers of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, if we don't follow them all, why would we follow this one? Like, so the argument goes this way. If we don't follow them all, like we don't follow all these ritual practices, like these sin sacrifices, we don't follow the laws and instruction in Leviticus on food laws, then why in the world do we need to follow this one on a prohibition against a homosexual lifestyle or homosexual behavior? Why? Why would we follow that? And so the church is faced with this dilemma of discerning whether... Israelite traditional norms have any applicability to a Christ follower today? Hmm. In order to answer that question, we have to understand the overall purpose of Leviticus. What's the overall purpose of Leviticus? Well, the overall purpose of Leviticus is this. The overall purpose of Leviticus 
is to help God's people become a holy people. That's the point of every instruction, every law here, is to help God's people reflect God's image to the world. Holy people, spiritually. Holy people, relationally. Holy people, physically. That is health-wise. And so as you look at these instructions and these, these, these laws, these instructions in Leviticus, you see that they really fall into two categories. You got ritual law and you got moral law. Ritual laws, those, those, those laws on, on how to do a certain sacrifice, on, on food. And then you got the moral laws, like how are we supposed to take care of the poor and the oppressed and the orphan and, and, and the alien? How are we supposed to, what, what, is, what is godly sexual relations? That's why there's prohibition against incest or sex from human with animal or, or, or human sacrifices, right? And then the question then, as we're trying to determine the relevance of Leviticus to us today, the question then becomes this then, once you understand that the whole point of Leviticus is to help God's people be a holy people, the question becomes is, can you eat bacon today and be holy? Because there was a prohibition against eating anything from a pig. Well, yes, because we have different food processing laws now than they did back then. Remember, God's law was to help protect these folks, right, from various diseases too, which could kill and wipe out an entire tribe. So the question is, is yes, we can eat bacon today and still be holy. Can, can, can we, can we um, be holy today and not engage in these sin sacrifices in the Old Testament? Well, the answer is yes. Why? Because Jesus came and paid the ultimate price. He was the one, we don't need any more sacrifices. Jesus is it, right? Can we be holy and, and engage in incest? No, still applies today. Nothing's changed, right? Can we be holy and not take care of the poor? the marginalized, the widow, the orphan, the alien. No, I mean, if we're gonna be a Christ follower, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Can we be holy and live a homosexual lifestyle? Well, what does the New Testament say? Does the New Testament change anything? Does it give us any guidance here? Well, let's look at what the New Testament says. There's, there's three passages in the New Testament that spe- specifically deal with this, uh, with this issue of homosexual behavior or lifestyle. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's 1 Timothy 1, and it's Romans chapter 1. So we're just going to walk through them again because we got to understand what does God's word say about a particular issue. So if you wouldn't mind turning with me or following on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. And let me put this into context for you. Uh, the apostle Paul is talking to these, uh, the, the people of this church of Corinth. So they're, they're, they're try- they, they, they want to follow Jesus, but the, this church, the people in this church, they're struggling. <laughs> they are continuing to do some ungodly things, right? And so Paul Paul just addresses them and says this in verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous, the unrighteous is just wanting to live a life of conformity to me, myself, and I. Okay, that's ultimately what that is. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. Now, 
a couple months ago, I had a couple, uh, they chatted with me, and they said, yeah, or I think it was their son. And their son's living with a, with a, with a young lady, and, and, and their son grew up in the church, and, and their son said to them, yeah, yeah, Mom, we hear you, but there's nothing in the Bible, really. Point to me anything in the Bible that says that, that I can't live with someone, I can't have sex with someone before marriage if we're committed. Like, where, where, does, it, where does it say that in the Bible, Right? And they're like, man, I don't know, what do we, what do we say to that? And I'm sitting there like, ooh, wow, uh, man, we just need to know our word, right? What, 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 is, what, is, what does fornication mean? What is, what is, do you guys know what that means? You want me to put that in a reel in the raw for you, fornicator? Fornicators are these people. Fornicators are people, adults, I think, uh, who, who agree voluntarily to have consensual sex before marriage. That's what a fornicator is. People who consent to have sex outside of marriage. That's what a, that, are we, that's what a, okay, so I think that answers the question, right? Just checking, okay. So do not be deceived, neither fornicators. So maybe we need repentance from cultural acceptance on a lot of different fronts here, right? Because our culture says, hey man, just try each other out first. See if it's the right fit. If it's not, move to something else, Right? crickets. <laughs> Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters, that is, people who worship something other than God, nor adulterers. We know what that means, right? Just checking. It's like having sex with someone who's not your spouse. We clear on that, what adultery is? Okay. Nor effeminate, we'll come back to that. Nor homosexuals, we'll come back to that. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards. Man, we live in this beautiful wine country. No one here ever does that, right? No one lives a lifestyle. Yeah, just checking. Nor revilers, nor swindlers. Swindlers. Oh, my goodness. Please don't get too creative on your tax returns this year. Just be truthful. Again, crickets. None of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. So Paul's real, I mean, we'll talk about a message here. Such were some of you, but you were washed. Praise God. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So please start living like Jesus is what Paul's saying here. Are you guys with me? So let's come back to these two words. Feminine. In the Greek, it's maloakoi. Just means the passive partner in a, in a, in a homosexual kind of a, a relationship, usually, unfortunately, in this period of time, young boys, right? And Paul's, in essence, saying, hey, you can't, you, you don't have an out here by saying, well, I didn't start it. No, get out of that. Stop doing that. And then this next word, erinsokoite, this Greek word for homosexual. It, it's, it, it, they think, it, they're pretty sure that this is the first time that this word, erinsokoite, was ever used in any Greek language. Paul coined this word. It's expansive. Any type of homosexual, male-on-male sex. Okay? 
male on male side. It, it actually, this Greek word, Aaron Sokoite, it actually derives from this Hebrew phrase, Mishif Zakor. Very important for us to understand that, which then relates back to these Leviticus passages that we talked about in Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Okay, you follow me here. You see the connection. Because here's what's, here's, what's, here's what's happening uh, today uh, in some in the Christian, again, after, I don't know, at least 3,000, 4,000 years, at least, where the Christian community has been all unified on this in the late 1900s and early 2000s, some in the Christian community say, whoa, wait, wait a second, does it really mean that? I think it's really limited to male cult prostitute kind of stuff. Well, if Paul wanted to say that, there's a Greek word for that. And he would have used it, but he didn't. He actually created a word, Aaron Sokoite, to make sure we understood the breadth of what he was talking about. Are you guys with me this morning? Then Paul again uses this term, Aaron, Aaron Sokoite, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18-11, where Paul's giving instruction to his mentee, that is to, to Timothy here, he says this, but we all know that the law is good. You know, like God's word's good. The law in the Old Testament's good. If one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for the righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, like we're trying to help them understand what the godly way is. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Again, Aaron Sokoite associated with ungodly, lawless. And then we come to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Paul, again, speaks on this issue of homosexual lifestyle. He actually uses it as an illustration here. Let me read to you what Paul says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That is, we want to be our own God. We want to make, the own, we want to make our rules. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. So no one's without excuse. God reveals God's self to everyone in various ways. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the in the form of, of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and, and crawling creatures. This is like living in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Like, I'm my God. I'm going to dictate what I want. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Okay? Therefore, verse 24, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their woman exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind 
to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Living a lifestyle of gossiping, people who live a lifestyle of gossiping will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do we understand that? And no one ever gossips in a church, right? Just want to make sure we're, are we clear? How much God hates that. Why? Because when we see later, it's against God's creative intent. Where we breathe life into each other. Gossiping is destroying each other. Are you guys with me here? This is very serious. Very serious stuff. So they are gossips. That is the ungodly. Slanderers. It never happens in a community faith. Haters of God. Insolent. Arrogant. Boastful. Inventors of evil disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So I want to come to this question this way in this passage. How is, first by asking this, how is the wrath of God revealed? Well, this is how. Because people, human beings, verse 23, exchanged the glory of God for an image of a man or a bird or a creature. Because human beings, verse 25, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the creature instead of the creator. And, and, and because, uh, verse 26, people exchanged the natural for the unnatural. Because human beings did that, God simply... Verse 24, gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity. Because human beings did that, verse 26, God gave them over to degrading passions. Because human beings did that, verse 28, God simply gave them over to a depraved mind to do things that are improper. So God unleashes God's wrath, not by zapping us, Eh, bad, sorry for you. No, no, that's a poor view of God. No, God simply unleashes God's wrath by letting people be, by letting us live with the consequences of our sin choices, by letting us experience hell on earth. When we go down, when we go down the ungodly path, we head down, hear me on this, we head down a spiral that goes from initial disobedience to experiencing the consequences of our degrading passions, that is the consequence of our sin, and then moves to a depraved mind that is no longer able to determine what is right and wrong. Or let me put it this way, that is no longer 
able to determine what is godly and ungodly and instead actually applauds and celebrates the ungodly. Do you want to see how this plays out in the real? This is what happens when we go down this sin path, this spiral. We end up calling greed good stewardship. We end up calling gossip being concerned about someone. We end up calling deceitfulness, creativity, creative accounting, (laughs) and good marketing. And we end up calling homosexuality a healthy or maybe even a godly alternative lifestyle. Oh, my friends, we must be very careful not to go down the ungodly path because if followed, it will taint our thinking and curse our living. God's wrath simply lets the irony of our sin play out. Like our impulse towards self-glorification. Oh, I know that's a big phrase. Pastor, that's a big phrase. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. Let me tell you what my daughter, Grace, will tell you what that means. Well, Dad, that means what's my truth. My truth. She says that's rampant on college campuses today. It doesn't matter if you're at a Christian one or not. That's good for you, but my truth says this. My truth is this. Okay, but you may, yeah, you may follow the Bible, but my truth is this. That's what self-glorification, because we, we're created in God's image, and so we have this tendency, this desire to maybe want to elevate ourselves above God. We're going to determine what is godly or not. My truth. So our impulse towards this self-glorification and self-satisfaction always ends, hear me on this, always ends in self-destruction. So why then does Paul use homosexuality to illustrate his point of what the downward spiral of sin leads to? Why? Why, why does he use this? Because it's such a vivid illustration. Think of it this way. God created us in God's image. Male and female, God created them, right? And God created man and woman and gave them the ability to create more through this beautiful, intimate act called sex. And when we come together in that way, oh man, we, 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 we show, we reflect God's image to the world. Well, we reflect God's image in a lot of different ways, but we, that's a beautiful way to reflect who God is through this act of creation. It's just the way God, just the way God created things to be. By sharp contrast in Romans 1, Paul portrays a homosexual lifestyle as the sacrament of the anti-religion. As, as the sacrament of really ungodliness. Of, of people not honoring God as creator. As such, homosexuality becomes a vivid example of what can happen when we go down the ungodly path. What happens? Well, we begin to engage in the unnatural We begin to do things that God did not create us to do. 
We begin to think in ways that God did not create us to think, and we begin to believe that a lie is true. And we don't, not only that, but we, but we also try to get other people to join us and to embrace us and to celebrate with us this lie. Are you guys following me this morning? And I think, and I think this is what is happening in some of our Christian community today, and it makes my heart weep. Why? After so many centuries, why? I have a couple thoughts on that. One is, is because this culture that we're currently in is so embracing of this lifestyle that we get confused and it's hard. I don't want to be referred to as a bigot. The second is, is because maybe I have these, these, these propensities or these tendencies and and, and I know God's all about love, and I just want to be in a loving, committed relationship, but I also know the word. So if I'm a, if I'm a follower, I know the word, and, and I see what it says, and I, I, don't want to, I want to spend eternity with God. I don't want to be separated from him forever. So, so we have this tendency to maybe start to rationalize and, and take passages of Scripture where they, they cannot be taken. And then the other reason maybe is because we have someone in our sphere of influence that's close to us who right now may be living in a homosexual lifestyle, and we don't know what to do with that. So we got to, oh, how can we rationalize this? God is a God of love instead of being on our knees on a daily basis, asking God to bind the evil one who is blinding the mind of our loved one and asking God to loose the spirit of God's wisdom and revelation so that this person can understand the godly way. You guys with me? So homosexuality really in essence and in simple terms is an example of one of God's decisions to to give up rebellious human beings to their futile desires and behaviors. That's what Paul's showing us here. So as we look at what does the Bible say about homosexual behavior, homosexual uh, uh, lifestyle, it becomes clear that the Old Testament and New Testament passages that speak on this issue, they do not affirm it, they do not bless it, they do not offer it as an alternative godly lifestyle. To the contrary, they condemn it. That lifestyle, not the person. The lifestyle, right? But if we live that lifestyle, woe to us, right? Just like any other lifestyle that's ungodly. Are you guys with me here? Now, some may say, well, Jesus never said anything about it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't condemn it. But how did Jesus talk about marriage? Always in the context of male and female. Always in the context of male and female. So, so this is what the Bible says, but that doesn't end our analysis. We also have to ask the question, how does this issue, living a homosexual lifestyle, fit in the, with the Bible as a whole? That, that's a question we have to ask with respect to any life issue. And so when we ask that question, we have to look at three questions. One, how does this issue relate to God's creative intent? How does a particular issue relate to what Jesus did on the cross? And how does this particular issue relate to this concept of new creation that's talked about in the New Testament, okay? So with respect to this issue, uh, what is God's creative intention for human sexuality? Well, from Genesis 1 onward, the Bible repeatedly 
repeatedly says that God made man and woman for each other and that our sexual desires are rightfully expressed in heterosexual marriage. Find me a passage that, that, that does not say that. <laughs> okay? It's throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament and New Testament. If you want some, Mark 10, 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5, Hebrews 13. You, find me something where that's not affirmed. God did not create man for man and woman for woman sexually. God created man and woman for each other sexually. Man and woman, they, I don't know, do I have to show motion? I mean, they, they just fit? Can I just leave it at that? Sexually? I mean, is that all I need to say? Okay, just, just checking. In fact, I cannot find, I cannot find a scripture in the entire Bible that affirms and blesses homosexual behavior or homosexual marriage. I can't, I can't do it. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons is, is, is because, uh, again, um, uh, man and man sex and woman and women sex cannot participate in God's ongoing creation in this world, right? You just can't be fruitful and multiply that way. Just can't. In a sense, in this way, then, homosexuality is really in conflict with God's creative intent. Just is. And when you think about how God created things, God created us, and those of us who follow Jesus, uh, we, we know that God created us to be relational beings, I mean, that, that's the whole point of, of this heaven is, is that we live in right relationship with God and with each other forever. That's how God created the garden to be. We all live for the best interest of each other. So living in relationship is very important for this God that we worship. So you would think, knowing how important relationship is for God, you would think that if God wanted to bless or affirm a homosexual lifestyle, you would think that in his word... He would give us, just, just give us one, just give us one example of a God-blessed homosexual relationship. Just give us one. There isn't any. Are you, are you guys with me this morning? It just isn't. So we see that God's word does not bless a homosexual lifestyle. We see that, that, that a homosexual lifestyle is, is in conflict with God's creative intent. But how does it relate to what Jesus did on the cross? Well, what was the point of Jesus dying on the cross? Well, to, to simplify for us, Jesus died on the cross uh, to, uh, to pay the price for our sin, to restore our relationship with God, and to give us new life. Right? To make us a new creation, like, like new life, new, new life that lasts forever. So how does Jesus' death on the cross relate to this issue of homosexuality? Well, I think it's implicit in, in this Romans passage that we, that we read. The, the ungodliness, the unrighteousness talked about in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, that is answered by the righteousness of God who puts forth Jesus Christ to pay the price for our ungodliness so that we may have an opportunity for new life. As, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, 
while we were still living a life of gossip, while we were still living a lifestyle of fornication, fill in the blank, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the wrath of God, talked about in Romans Romans 1, and the wrath of God being simply letting us live with the consequences of our sin. The wrath of God is not the last word. The cross, the cross of Jesus Christ marks the end of the old life. The cross of Jesus Christ, it, 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 it releases us from the power of a life of sin. Are you guys with me this morning? So Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And so you've heard me say this many times. So what does that mean? We don't have to do that anymore. Oh, and and the other thing you always hear me say, and it's very important for for this topic, not only do we, have, we don't have to do that anymore, we don't have to be that way anymore. Are you guys with me? Oh, the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross gives us the ability, the opportunity to live a totally new life, new thinking, new living, new way of being. Paul makes this very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in, there's that phrase again, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. So, so how does this issue relate to new creation? You've heard that term before, right? New creature. <laughs> we become new in Christ. We don't have to be that anymore. A gossip monger, a greed monger, a fornicator. Are you with me? We don't have to be that anymore. We're new. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So through the transforming power and grace of God, those of us who have an orientation or an inclination to live a homosexual lifestyle can be freed from those desires. Just like my friend Phil. Oh, my friend Phil, some of you may have met him and you didn't even know it. He was a part of this community of faith, but he's moved to Gresham. Oh, and he was, he was hostile. He was a hostile uh, to Christianity at first, homosexual. He lived in Portland, and then he said, you know what? I think you actually can be Christian and live a homosexual lifestyle. So he's adamant on that. And then a funny thing happened. I really believe that someone in his life was actually on their knees day, every day, asking for God to bind the evil one who was blinding Phil's mind, asking God to loose the spirit in his life of wisdom, of God's wisdom. And so Phil started to say, whoa, maybe this isn't a godly behavior. And then he started to pray, God, if this isn't godly, man, I need, I need you to start giving me a desire for a woman. And God did. And he's married and he has a couple kids, and they're serving in a church, and they're rocking it for Jesus. But we don't hear stories like that, do we? 
That's what the power of cross can do. Are you guys with me? So let me say it again. The transforming power and grace of God can help those of us who may have an orientation towards living a a homosexual life. The power of the cross can free us from those desires just like the power of the cross can free us from any ungodly desire or lifestyle that we are living. Do you believe that? Man, if we don't have that hope, we are hoping for too little from God. And we're negating the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. So how should we respond? When someone in our life is living an ungodly lifestyle. Well, I can tell you what we don't do. We don't cut them off. We don't do what, unfortunately, many churches did when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. If a teenage girl got pregnant, get out of here! I think that makes God a vomit and weep. Mm-mm. No, we continue that relationship. We walk the path. We cultivate it. We live a life of, of love and truth. We live a life of truth and love. Because at some point in time, they may ask us a question when they're in their deepest, darkest moment. We live the way Jesus lived and showed us how do we handle these sensitive issues. Well, just like Jesus did when he, when he approached this woman, he didn't have to. This woman at this well who had five husbands and was working on number six, he could have just ignored her. Instead, he sat had conversation, I shared a drink with her. Ask her about herself, and she really didn't want to talk about it because she knew what she was doing. And then after that came to light, he told her what she was doing. What did Jesus do? Get out of here? No, he offered her a new way to live. He said, come on, embrace this life that I want to give you, this life that lasts forever. You don't have to live that way anymore. You don't have to be that way anymore. God did not create you that way. We can break you free from that spirit of rejection. Oh, man, come on. And what did she do? Oh, she went back to her friends, like her whole village, and said, holy smokes, come meet this guy who told me everything about me. I don't know. Maybe he's the Messiah. I don't know. But I think you should come and meet him. And they came in a whole community was changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Are you guys with me this morning? That's how we respond, with love and truth. So I want to end this way this morning, this way. If there's anybody here this morning who is engaging in an ungodly lifestyle, it's gossip (laughs) whether it's greed whether it's fornication whatever word you want to put there that's ungodly whoever whoever is engaging in an ungodly lifestyle I just want to say to you that can end today through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ God can make you new. God can give you new desires. God can give you this godly, 
godly desire to be who God has created you to be, all you got to do is want it. Jenna talked about confession last week, and she talked about repentance. Confession is just getting out there. Repentance is that turn. True repentance always brings evidence with it, a change in behavior, which only God can do, right? Because when we have these ungodly habits, it's so we can't do it on our own. And so I'm inviting you this morning to let God do what God does best, heal and restore you and make you a new creation that reflects God's image every way and every day. So will you bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes? If there's anybody here this morning who wants to begin to live a lifestyle of godliness, who wants, who wants God to just stop that ungodly behavior, stop that ungodly lifestyle. God, make me new, wash me clean, transform me, sanctify me. If there's anybody here who wants that today, will you just raise your hand up and I wanna pray over you? I see your hand, I see your, I see your hands. Anybody, anybody else? Yes. Yeah. Oh God, we come to you this morning as people who, well, some of us are just being honest this morning saying, man, we're living an ungodly life in a particular area and it's killing us, man. God, your word says that we don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to be that. We don't have to do that. And so we're asking, we're coming to you. We're receiving, we're confessing, we're receiving your forgiveness. But, but man, we, we want to live a different, we want to do the 180. And we need your power, the power of your Holy Spirit in us. So please, God, please just make us holy. Please purify us through and through. Please sanctify us in every way, God. Give us your heart desire. We want a heart after you, God. Please make that happen today. We want to be this new creation that brings you glory every way, every day, God. So please, please, we're asking, do what you do best. Heal and restore our spirit. Heal and restore our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, God. Heal and restore our body. Oh, God, help us to live the way you've created us to live. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray and ask, amen. Will you stand with me and sing this song, Come to the Father? Come to the Father and just let your burdens, just lay them down. Oh, if anybody here this morning, during the song, after the service, wants to talk to someone, wants to be prayed over, just come to our cross this morning where we will have, we have some of our prayer warriors just interact and pray with you. We are a community of faith that wants God to to heal and restore you and me so we can be everything that God has created us to be. Amen? So please sing and let God do what God does best.